audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see a full house on Sunday morning. We had a full room last night. Those of you that are new here, new to MCC, as always, we're so glad to see you. And I hope that you stopped by the table out in the lobby and made yourself known because we want to know you and we want to follow up with you and encourage you in your next step. Every weekend we're together, we celebrate life change. And last Saturday night, Zoe Newton gave her life to the Lord and was baptized by her sister DJ. Isn't that exciting to get to see, to see family baptizing family. And this weekend, that's what I want you to think about over the next 30 minutes. I want you to think about what your next step in relationship to God, what your next step is going to be. Not a week from now, not a month from now, but this morning. You know, every time we open up God's word, it speaks to us. It speaks in ways that we never dreamed that it could. And this weekend, I encourage you to respond to that. Whether that's coming and being prayed for, whether that's giving your life to Jesus Christ, becoming a member of the local family here, making a change at home and the way that you do things, I hope that you will keep that in the forefront of your mind as we look at this next promise. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called God's Promises and My Responsibility. And today's promise is found in Romans chapter 8. We're going to find our place in the Bible, two different places. First, John chapter 4, the Gospel of John, if you'll find your place there in chapter 4 and mark your place. And then find today's promise in Romans 8 verse 28 couple folks I want to mention to you this morning. First of all, it's uh, yesterday was Dave Swearin's birthday. I know it was Lynn's birthday on our security team. Happy birthday to you guys. But tomorrow morning, Dave, our bass player, is going to be going in for surgery. Uh, and I, I asked this morning that you take a moment to pray for him. Greg Day, Greg's going to begin his radiation treatments tomorrow and uh, he's been preparing for that he and Deva and we want to remember him Amy Norton's at Baptist Floyd uh, this morning is just really having trouble uh, getting her oxygen levels up she's one of our young uh, single moms and we sure want to be lifting her up and then Mrs. Just is in surgery right now at Baptist Floyd she uh, fell out of bed and broke her hip uh, yesterday and uh, she's in her 90s and uh, we know how uh, serious a situation that is so let's bow our heads together and let's pray father thank you for this morning and I pray I pray that our soul will remember who it is that we're singing to today who it is that we're coming to today with our prayers with our petitions with our thanksgiving and today, Lord, I pray for those that are undergoing surgery this week, that are beginning radiation treatments. Father, those that are in recovery right now at home from surgical procedures and illness, I pray for Amy and for little Josie as they resolve her oxygen issue and help her to be able to return home. And uh, Father, for all of those today that come with the weight of life, that, Father, they would see you and that they would find you today in this promise that you are at work in all things for the good of those who love you. And, Father, we love you 
And I pray that the world would come to love you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this weekend, that is the promise that we're looking at, is that God is at work in every, in every situation, no matter how dire, no matter how ungodly that situation may be, that God is at work. And he's not just at work, but he's at work to do something, and that something is good for you, and it's good for his kingdom. Several years ago, in fact, it's been about 23 years ago in my first ministry, I was helping the pastor prepare a series on adoption. And it was that week in preparation that I met with a young lady that I'd heard about in our church. She was 12 years old at the time. She had been given up for adoption at birth. And so I asked if she would be willing to come in and sit down and allow me to tape an interview of her and she said yes now you can imagine my thrill when she came in that day not with her adoptive mother but actually with her birth mother now I need to back up because I have a bias when it comes to adoption uh, most of the adoptions that my friends have gone through are what's called closed adoptions uh, it's an adoption where the birth parents and the adoptive parents don't have contact. The, the birth parents don't have contact with the adoptive child. Perhaps you have lived in that, in that choice yourself. Well, I was surprised that day because here was this 12-year-old, and, and not only did her adoptive mother come, but her birth mother was there with her. And after the small talk, I got to the question of the day. And then the question that I wanted to hear the answer to from this 12-year-old was, how have you dealt for the last 12 years with this decision that your birth mother made? This reality that you at birth were given up for adoption. And I've got to tell you that her answer blew me away. In the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, you can find this very account, but this, this 12-year-old quoted it to me verbatim. Maybe you remember it. Uh, there were two ladies. They, they were what we used to call ladies of the night. The Bible says they were prostitutes. And these two ladies each had infant children. And in those days, just like Sarah and I, when we had our girls, our girls slept with us. Now, I slept with one eye open most of the time, but these two ladies, these two ladies slept with their infants next to them, and one of them rolled over on the infant, and the unthinkable happened. That infant smothered and died. Now, that mother woke up in the middle of her sleep that night and recognizing what had happened, she took her dead infant and she swapped it with the other mother's child. Well, you can imagine when daybreak came and here was the other mother with this dead infant next to her. Not only that, she recognized that the infant wasn't her own. And when she went to this other lady, 
she saw her infant in that lady's arms and they began to argue that's my child and the the other woman said oh no no you must be mistaken and finally they ended up before the king and it would only be the wisest man who ever lived anybody remember who that is king solomon and so they appear before solomon and Solomon hears their arguments. They're just going at it. You can imagine. You can imagine how they were arguing. And he finally looked at the ladies and he looked at his servant. And he said, bring me my sword. And he said, I'm going to cut the child in half. That way each one of you can have this child. And it was the birth mother who cried out and said, no, king, she can have the child because she wanted that child to live. And this 12-year-old, this 12-year-old sat there and she looked me in the eye, she looked right at the camera and she said, that is exactly what my birth mother did. She gave me up so that I could live, so that I could have a life that she was unable to give me in that moment. What an amazing testimony. But what I want you to realize, and the reason I share with you that story, that true story today, is that because of what happened 12 years prior, not only was this 12-year-old, had she come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and obviously understood his word and the depth of God's love, but her birth mother had surrendered her life in Christian baptism as well. And it's on that foundation that I come to you today and I tell you that God is at work. That God is at work in whatever circumstance, whatever situation you find yourself in at the moment. This young lady, what she shared with me is as profound as this weekend's promise. I want you to say it with me. And we know. Do you know this? And we know that in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. He's at work even in that moment. That moment in life when you're so overwhelmed by a situation that you think it impossible, you think it impossible for God to bring anything good from it. That in any situation, at any moment, through this promise, here's what he's doing. God is uniting my circumstances, your circumstances. This is how this promise works. He unites our circumstances with his purpose and the result of him bringing those two things together is good it's good for me and it's good for his kingdom now it's on this promise i want us to build today through this message and to do that i want you to go back two verses before this promise in romans 8 28 i want you to look at verse 26 and here Paul is speaking to the believer, and he's reminding us of this truth. He says that for the believer, God's Spirit, the very Spirit that you receive in Christian baptism, the Holy Spirit, 
He is at work inside of you. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. And what's he doing? He is praying. He is talking to God on your behalf. He's talking to God on your behalf. He's praying for you. And it's on this foundation that Paul boldly assures us that everything can work together for good. Can you see how that could possibly be? That God, the one who's issuing you this promise, he is living and working inside of you. He knows your thoughts. He knows the decisions that you're about to make. Not only that, every day of your life was recorded in his book before one of them came to be. And so he, if anyone, is able to work it all out. Now, Jesus, he had many fascinating encounters, like my encounter with this 12-year-old. It's his encounter with a Samaritan woman beside a well, a very familiar encounter in John chapter 4 that I want us to look at together as we break down this promise, beginning in verse 5. John chapter 4, verse 5. It says, so he came, Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Seems like the last time we talked, they were in town or wanting to go into town to buy food. These guys are always hungry. But here's where I want us to begin, and that is the chance. The chance that Jesus and this woman met it all is nothing more than random to this woman. She, she sees this encounter with Jesus as just a random incident. Here she is going to the well every day, and we'll talk in a minute while she was going at noon instead of at sunup. But there she is, and just, there just happens to be this man. But with Jesus, we can know that it wasn't a chance meeting. And that's key to what we're going to look at today. Nothing is by chance when it comes to God, okay? We need to understand that he is very intentional. That's part of him being at work in everything. Nothing to him, nothing is wasted. He sought her out even though her circumstances would suggest that Jesus would be nowhere near her. You say, circumstances? What circumstances? Well, let's start with the people group that she was from. I don't know what that people group today would be. You can just fill that in in your own mind because there are all kinds of people groups today. But her people group came from, came from the inner breeding of the Assyrians and the Jewish people. All right, and, and because of this, they were half-breeds, something you can't say today, but it was something that was sure said back then. And that race, this group, this people group called the Samaritans, they were looked down on. 
Uh, so much so that the, that the Samaritans and the Jews, although they believed in the same God, they had two separate temples, two, two separate places where they would go and worship. The Jews had their way to worship. And here the Samaritans, the half-breeds, they had their way. Now their way, according to the Jews, was filled with pagan rituals and things that were, that were inappropriate. And so there was this big, big dividing line. And that's key to understanding this encounter. Look, look at verse 19. One of the questions that she poses to Jesus, once she figures out that he's a teacher, that he's a prophet, she says, where's the proper place to worship? Well, what she's saying is, is who's right? Are the Jews, and uh, should we worship at their temple, or should we worship at our temple? But what's most important here is that to the pure-blood Jew, the Samaritans were to be avoided at all cost. And that's what makes this encounter all the more special. If you've been around, you've heard this said a number of times. Jesus chose to go through Samaria. Any other rabbi, any other teacher, any other good person, they would have gone out of their way to go around this area. They, they would have been unclean. They, they would have been viewed as dirty themselves for just walking through Sychar. But here... Jesus chose to go through Samaria. He chose to sit down and take his rest right where she would be that day. In fact, verse 4 says it this way. He had to. He had to. It was a divine command. It was something that he couldn't say no to in his own heart as the very Spirit of God living inside of him said, I want you here and I want you here at this time of day for this purpose. And what's so cool is that before the promise in Romans 8, 28, that God's at work in all things, the promise, Jesus Christ is about to do this amazing work in the life of this Woman, He's about to bring that message to the very lost soul inside of her. Now let's begin at verse 6 and let's take a look at some of the circumstances. Jesus, it says, tired as he was from the journey. Tired as he was from the journey. Jesus meets this woman when he's worn out. He's exhausted. He's fatigued. He's sore. He's tired. Now that means something to you and me. That means something to you and me in these circumstances where we find it so hard to believe that God could really be at work. Because it's in those times that we are most fatigued. It's in those times when we are so tired. It's in those times that we are so chapped that we just want to walk away. We just want to give up. We want to go off and we want to have our own pity party yet if you know Jesus you know that his love compelled him to many times keep walking even when he he wanted to stop it, it compelled him to to spend time and allow a woman to touch his clothing and to be healed as we're going to talk about next week when, when all he needed was was to go away with the disciples and get some rest and here to reach out to a woman who we're about to see had made many bad choices in life. But he goes on and he goes here in order to let her know something. And that is that she's loved. 
and that her situation matters to God. You see, in any and every situation, we need to understand that God is right here to be found. He's right there. He is never far away. Psalm 139, we were reminded in grief share this past week when the psalmist says, where can I go and escape you, God? There's no place. I can go to the highest of heights. I can go to the depths of the depths. And you are there. God is right there to be found no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. And he's not just at work, but he is passionately at work. It goes to the very core of his character and who he is that we can know his love. Now, I want you to think about that event. I want you to think about that circumstance in your life, that moment when you were so overwhelmed by a situation. Maybe you're right in the middle of that situation right now that you think impossible to imagine God bringing any good from it. And I want you to begin this morning. Just please go with me here. I want you to go to this idea. I want you to open your mind to the reality that at the very same moment that you feel hopeless, that the God of the universe is fighting for you. <laughs> that he's fighting for you. He is right there waiting for you to turn to him and to take hold of him, to answer his plea and engage him. Now, not only was it unusual for a rabbi to be in the middle of Samaria, but it was also unusual for a woman to be alone at the well. That's why this sixth hour thing is so important. Every detail matters. Why was she there at the well at noon when all the other ladies, and I want you to think about this, this is a cultural thing. The ladies are the ones who would go and fetch the water. They didn't have the spigot out in the backyard. They didn't have an individualized well at each place. They had to go to a well, and they had to not just bring back a couple bottles of bottled water from that well, but they had to bring back water for the animals. They had to bring back water to do the washing. They had to bring back water to drink, water to cook. Why would she wait until the heat of the day to go to the well? Because the other women were there at sunup, and because of her reputation, she didn't want to be seen by them. You've been there. I can't tell you how many times I would avoid, as much as I go to Walmart, you can imagine how many times I'd see somebody down that aisle, and I'd turn around because I sure as heck didn't want to cross paths with them. You say, you're the preacher? You bet. You bet. Some of you were the ones I was turned around from. <laughs> I mean, Brandon, he just picks up his phone, pretends he's on it. I'll just be honest and turn around and go the other direction. <laughs> but this woman, she was there at sunup because she didn't want to deal. And I think this is where we often neglect to see the possibility that God's in work in some of our situations. Is we're so focused on what we see as the obvious. We get so caught up in the situation 
and the circumstances that we're blinded to everything else. Uh, last night in the service, after the service, one of the guys came up to me. I love it when you come up to me after the service and you give me an illustration. And it's a good illustration, so much so that I feel like a failure because I didn't use it in the message. And he, he didn't do that, so I'm just going to steal it from him and use it this morning as if it's my very own. I want you to take your program, the thing that you've already made into an airplane. But, but, but I want you to take it right here. Take, take it with both hands. Wake up. And I, I want you to hold it right here. You see the little lines in here? The, the little graph paper there? This is a building plan right here. We're going to build our life on these promises. I want you to just bring it in right here. I want you to bring it in until your eyes cross. Some of you look really funny out there. But go ahead and bring it in. What can you see? Uh, all you can see is that, the, the little box there. It may, maybe even it's all blurry. And this is what we do with our circumstances. This is what we do with some of the problems in our life. This is all we can see. But now I want you to hold it out. Pretend that your arms are really, really long and I'm holding it out for you up here. Now what do you see? Well, you can see everything around it. You can see all the other pieces, all the other things that are going on. But sometimes, friends, we get so caught up in the obvious that we miss what God's doing all around the obvious. We can't imagine God being in the middle of something like a bankruptcy. All we can see is the judge. All we can see is the for sale sign on our property. We get so caught up in the obvious of a failed adoption that all we can see is that the thing that we wanted most in our life, we were just told no to, Again, we can't imagine God being in a jail cell. Some of you have got young people that are in jail today and mama just can't hardly take it, but it's the best place for them to finally get to see beyond the drug or to see beyond the quick fix or the, the behavior that is so out of line. And for God, to meet them there and at the bottom of the barrel for them to grab hold of him. We can't imagine God being in the middle of a miscarriage or a recovery program or a cancer diagnosis. But my friends, God is always present. God is always present and he is the one. He's the only one who can exchange the temporal the temporary, the thing that's got our eyes crossed for the eternal. Now, that's a big word for me, temporal. But I use it for a purpose today because that is the way that we look at this stuff in our life. We look at it as if it's the only thing in front of us, but it's not. These things that grab our attention are temporary. They come and go. As soon as you get rid of that one, somebody else is going to come and replace that problem, that situation. But God is at work to replace that with what really matters, the temporal with the eternal. Verse 7 is a great example. Jesus, he addresses the woman his first question in verse 7, will you give me a drink 
Notice how temporal that is. How often do you want to drink? I want to drink right now. I'm dry as can be. I've got one over here, so don't run and get me one. But how, how, how temporal can a drink be? I mean, you drink one, you want another. And that's where he begins. Of course, they're at a well. What else is he going to ask her for? And she sees that. She's like, she's so focused on the drink. Why would you ask me for a drink? Why would you even talk to me? And she just goes on down the line. But Jesus, who's never known for small talk, he goes right to the eternal in verse 10. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. My friends, it's this simple. In the middle of these circumstances, in these situations, we're looking for a drink. And God's right there ready to not just give you a drink, but give you so much more. Now, if you know the story, you know what's about to happen. Jesus is about to offer the woman an opportunity to, to open up a little bit. To let him in to her situation. <clears throat> Verse 16. He says, go home and bring your husband back to the well. Strange, strange things. Very obscure things sometimes we hear in a sermon that clicks with us, that grabs our attention only so God's word can go a little bit deeper in our lives. This is what Jesus is doing. He's opening the door for her. He's opening the door for her to tell him the truth about why she's at that well at noon. To tell him the truth so that he he can tell her the answer to what he's been at work trying to accomplish in the midst of all of her bad choices. This is her moment of truth. And she blurts out to him, I have no husband. And knowing that she had risked a little, Jesus, Jesus tells her, I know the whole truth. In verse 18, he reveals that she's not only not married at the moment, she's been married five times before. Some of you can imagine the weight, whether it's five failed relationships or one failed relationship. She's experienced all of these failed relationships. And then Jesus says to her, and the man that you're with the man that you're shacked up with right now isn't your husband. You see, one of the most redeeming realities of our encounter with Christ is that Jesus can get underneath. He can get underneath the surface level symptoms of our life and he can get to the heart. He can get to the heart of what he wants to transform. I want you to think in your life about that incident, that thing that happened to you, that thing that you did that has left you today believing that nothing good could ever come of this. And I want you to just answer three questions. And the first question is this. Is it possible? Is it possible that God has allowed this moment 
for a purpose beyond the obvious. Just is it possible? I'm I'm not asking you to buy the whole thing, right? Just is it possible? How often do we get so focused on the obvious that we can't even consider that an event, a situation was allowed to happen for a deeper purpose? And let's just get this clear, all right? Allowed. Allowed. God does not cause, God allows. Now, either way, you can blame him all you want. God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Now, the reason why we say allowed is because God is all-powerful. God is always present. All right? And so you can look at the book of Job. It's a great example of how everything, good and bad, must pass through his hands. And for the Christian, he either allows it or he doesn't. And so sometimes we can't get past that idea that this has been allowed. But is it possible that God has allowed what has happened for a deeper purpose? Think about the pain of a child given up for adoption. You know, I said I was biased. My uncle, Andy, was adopted late in life by my grandparents. He he was adopted as an infant But my mother was almost a teen, and my grandparents felt that they needed to adopt a boy. And they adopted him, and from the very beginning, from the very beginning, as as soon as he realized that he was adopted, he wrestled with that. And it was a classic case of no matter what they did, no matter what they bought, no matter what they spent, that man's soul could never be at peace until 1978 when he hooked a vacuum hose to the exhaust of the car and put it in the window of his car in their very driveway and took his own life. I want you to think the pain a child who's given up for adoption Only that she could know Christ. (laughs) Is that not bigger than the pain? Is that not taking something bad, hurtful, and making it good, good for her? The pain of a young girl to experience the love of a family who chose to bring her in. You talk about a special kind of love. We're stuck with our natural born kids. And sometimes we tell them so. But to choose to bring someone into your home, to choose, and it's not that way with my daughter, but to choose to bring someone into your home, and then you take it one step further that had she not been raised in the home that she was in, who knows if her birth mother would have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. What about a hospital stay? What if you're Nancy Stone and you're used to being like so busy, so involved, 
such amazing responsibility in the life of so many ladies in the church family. And you're involved in a car accident. Uh, You're on your way to recovering. You get to come home and then something happens and puts you back in the hospital. And and you start praying, God, let, let me go home. Let me continue my healing. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to go home except for an insurance issue, right? And so you begin to get upset, all this insurance, oh, I'm going to be stuck here. And then all of a sudden, on a Saturday, you wake up and your heart's out of rhythm. And were it not for you being at the hospital, you would have had to have been rushed there to have paddles used on you to put it back into rhythm. My friends, God is at work in all things, in all things. But we can't get past the obvious sometimes for what he's doing underneath it. Think about this woman and her chance meeting with Jesus. It was anything but chance that she could take all of these years of painful decisions and bring about this personal encounter with the one who is about to save her soul. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go out and sin or we use this as an excuse to sin to see how God can use it for good. Don't do that because you still have to deal with the consequences. Those five husbands did not go away. And all the pain that was with it, it's still there. But what I am saying is, is that the very acts that Satan, the adversary, the accuser, would love to use to destroy you, Even those things God can use to help us find our way home to him. And every one of us has a story. We have a time in our life when we've made choices, when we've given into temptation, when we've ignored opportunities, when we've had something tragic happen in our life that's brought us right where we are today. Today. Did you think about that, that there is a reason why you're here today to hear this message, to hear God speak, to meet the one who doesn't bring up the facts to shame you or to hurt you, but to redeem you, to bring you home? I mean, is it not possible? I think it is. Second question, and that is how can God, how can he, how does he redeem what has happened and use it for good in your life? or the life of someone else. One of the ways, one of the many ways that God redeems our individual stories, how he uses even the most difficult of situations for good is described in the promise of 2 Corinthians 1.4. It's probably the most quoted promise, but I want you to look at it today beyond the little narrow use that I've given it. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, God comforts us in all of our trouble. We look at God's comfort as something to restore our happiness or to restore our joy. Have you ever thought that God's not a genie in the bottle? That he's not there for your personal enjoyment? That maybe it's not exactly number one on his list all the time for you to be happy? and the hell with everything else. God comforts us in our trouble, why? So we can comfort others in their time of trouble. I mean, who better 
Who better to help a person in recovery than someone who's been sober for 20 years with Christ as their strength? I mean, who better? Who better to come alongside of you when your wife or your husband has been diagnosed with cancer than another Christian who has walked for years with their spouse through a similar diagnosis and remained faithful and true? Who better? Have you opened your mind to the reality that God will use everything for good? Everything. And if you haven't opened your mind, are you willing to? And that's where our responsibility comes in on this promise. With every promise that God gives us, there's a responsibility on our part. The Samaritan woman, she had this reputation that brought her to the well at this time of the day. She had this encounter with Jesus. And then verse 28 says she had to make a choice. And in verse 28, she leaves her water jar. <laughs> now that water jar represents a whole lot. Every day she carried that jar, she carried with her the baggage of her situation. She was reminded. The more she filled that, the heavier it was, and the heavier her burden was for what she had endured and experienced in life. She leaves her water jar. What's she doing there? She's leaving her circumstances there at the feet of Jesus. How do you know that? Because she goes right back into the same town that she was trying to avoid. And she gathered as much attention as she could. And she said, come and see the one who told me everything about my life. Could this be? Could this be the Messiah, the Christ? It takes us to that third and final question, and that is, will you allow God to unite your circumstances with his purpose? Will you allow him? You see, God is at work, but God does not force himself on you. He does not break down the door. He does not storm the castle, but he waits he doesn't press you to make an emotional decision in the heat of the moment. He's simply there in the middle of the mess with a promise that he can take any situation and bring good out of it. Good for his purpose and plan, but also good for your life. So don't let cancer, don't let heartache, don't let anxiety, don't let fear, don't let whatever horrible thing, whatever addiction, has been done to you or by you, don't let it go to waste. Because God wants to redeem it. He wants to use it in your life and the lives of those around you. And so here's my responsibility. This is my responsibility. For God to be at work in all things, for the good of those who love him, my responsibility is to let him in. <laughs> is to let him in. When he comes to you in the middle of that situation, he meets you there in that place that you would least expect him to meet you. And you're thinking, you're thinking about the obvious. I want you to pause. 
And I want you to ask God, God, this is about more than the obvious today, isn't it? This is about way more. Will you come clean with him? Will you let him in? Because when you let him in, he can begin to take those things in your life and he can begin to show you how every one of them has a place and every one of them has a purpose that is way beyond the obvious, but eternal. For a woman at the well who recognized she had made some life-altering relationship choices that left her broken, she went on to choose to use her voice to save a whole community. And I would imagine some of those five husbands and maybe even the man that she went home and said, you know, we can't be living together anymore. I want you to realize that Christ's very arrival to this planet came through the willingness of two teenagers to allow God to unite their circumstances. <laughs> to unite their circumstances with his purpose. God is ready. God is ready. He's posed to do the same thing in your life. For some of you today, that means that you need to surrender your life to him in baptism. You've got to let his spirit in so that he can do that work that only the spirit can do. For others of you, you've been thinking you can do this Christian thing on your own and, and it doesn't work that way. You were created to be part of a church. Yes, the church, God's family, but yes, the local church where you can be encouraged in the truth and where you can share your story and what God's doing in your life. Aren't you grateful that we have Nancy's story and Bill's story who've been with us my entire journey here? I'm grateful for all of your stories the ones that you've let me in on, the ones that you're right in the middle of right now, and we're waiting to see what God's going to do with those things. That's why the plea is so passionate to let him in, because we know that he's got such great things. So come and be part of the family. Maybe for you today, you, you need somebody to pray with you. You've exhausted your prayers. Well, there's a whole army here that's willing to kneel down with you and to go to the Lord and not just speak with him, but to walk with you in the days ahead. Just as we walked with these three or four this morning when we opened up our time by praying for them, let us do the same with you. Stand. Come. If you want to take that next step, I'll meet you right here.